This is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my cowgirls, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. And this is the first episode of season three of The Monstrous Feminine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to us as we go into our third year running. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast. Our theme of the month is horror westerns, and we are going to be talking about the 2018 film The Wind, directed by Emma Tommy, the 2019 film Bocaral, directed by Clever Mendoza Fio and Juliana Donales, and the new 2022 Jordan Peele film Nope. Our bonus episode will cover the 2008 film The Borrowers, directed by JT Betty, so be sure to pledge to our Patreon page to listen. The Wind is set in the late 19th century and centers around Lizzie and her husband Isaac, who have moved from St. Louis to an unpopulated area of land in New Mexico with the hopes of starting a new settlement. They are soon joined by another strange and tense couple from Illinois, Emma and Gideon. Switching between past and present, the film shockingly begins with the corpse of pregnant Emma, who has died from a gruesome gunshot wound to the head. In flashbacks, we see that Emma gradually grew closer to Isaac, casting doubt over her baby's paternity. We also learn that Emma was suffering from paranoid delusions of a demonic presence in the wind. In further flashbacks, we discover that Lizzie shared these delusions when she was pregnant and that her child ended up being stillborn. The supernatural activity amplifies as the film progresses, but at the same time, Lizzie's own mental health unravels. Um, I like westerns mainly because that was just like the genre I studied at university yeah she's our resident western academic i have a book for you um but it's a book i worked on called jesus and john wayne it's not a media focused book it's a history book but it's about like the american man in myth portrayed you know in john wayne and westerns and things like that but also like um how it ties to evangelical identity in the united states and basically like how we got to like trumpism and like the white working class where their mythology lies It's such a strong mythology that's recognizable to people outside of America because of its alignment with film history and the fact that early Westerns were just propaganda, which is like completely fascinating that film can have such a huge part in creating that mythic identity. I want you to talk about the core tropes of Western. Like, tell me. In terms of the ideology underneath it, which is all about, like Zaber said, the mythic identity, what it means to be American. American accept. Yeah, American exceptionalism, manifest destiny, this like God-given right to live in this land. Kill who you need to to get it. Don't they really like anti-heroes in, in Western films? That came later on. So basically early Westerns were very black and white, <laughs> literally. Uh. <laughs> like civilization and technology versus wilderness or white colonial settlers versus native peoples. Very binary like marvel films marvel films are just like reimagined westerns and the way they portray american heroes military propaganda same thing dressed differently but then later on like ty said into the 60s especially when you start seeing like spaghetti westerns revisionist westerns then it starts getting a bit more complex and a lot more violent and a lot more of maybe the horror elements 
in later westerns like completely bleak nihilistic grotesquely violent like that's where you get some of the like more complex nuance to history and Clint Eastwood would be I guess the figurehead of like the revisionist western he's a bit like grittier all the politics under it is basically the morality of it racial politics blah 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 but then also people understand westerns as like cowboys funny hats shootouts so like the visual elements of it are so deeply embedded that wild west town those doors the saloon doors and then like the occasional sprinkling of like we have like the acknowledgement that it like wasn't just like barren land and white folks out there occasionally there'll be like a handful of black people we don't know how they got there there'll be like native american folks are out there we mexicans out there and then like sometimes they got like a chinaman they'll like throw that <laughs> somewhere if they're like if they're all the way far west hearing you talk about the fabric of what makes a westerns interesting because of the show westworld and how they escape to the theme park and the use of it typically most of the customers in the show are cis straight white men who go there to like live their fantasies of this free world where they can do whatever they want and kill people and in a way it kind of is like the fictional freedom that you think you have like i remember when i was on my study abroad and we had to do like a culture fair and everyone was like what is america's culture and then like some of the dudes are like freedom everything tastes like freedom our beer tastes like freedom and in a way we have less freedoms than a lot of places especially now with the overturning of roe v wade and so the west kind of represents the fictional freedom that people have especially like people who are very obsessed with guns and weaponry and violence and being able to live out those fantasies on a screen and also like the way that women only exist as mainly objects of pleasure this terrain that you can just ride on a horse all day and then go drink beer at a saloon. It's just a very like fictional world that would very much appeal to, I think, many people who identify with the Make America Great Again philosophies. That desire to like perform or play in like that Wild West imaginary space is 100% why I think Red Dead Redemption, that video game is so popular. It's a great game. I'm not trying to say it's overrated, but that pleasure that people get from reenacting that time period even if they're not american like fraternity culture is also really popular and people are really into the ideal of american pie it's just the two extremes of which i think do you mean the movie or the food no like yeah the movie <laughs> i mean american pie is good the food <laughs> I think like the extremes of what appeals to people outside the US are like literally the, like the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort type dude who's so wealthy, he can buy anything he wants and that's like your Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Wolf of Wall Street. Then it's like your frat boy who's like a party boy, drinks a lot, gets girls way out of his league and then like the Western cowboy type and that's like your Clint Eastwood, John Wayne. The difference between those stereotypes and a Western like cowboy thing is like the Wild West, like what we see in movies is completely mythical. Whereas there are people on Wall Street who live like that. There are frat boys who have life with no consequences. The Wild West was dysentery. 12 guys go out, six of them live. You have to get one woman pregnant over and over and over again to populate your town. Like the reality of it is so horrific that if there was a Westworld style game where you actually had to live out the Wild West, I think people would pay money not to have to do it. Like The Wolf of Wall Street to a certain extent, I know that movie was actually not supposed to be glamorizing. I love Scorsese, but I will say I think most teenage boys who saw that movie definitely just thought it was a, about a baller lifestyle. The same way with the Wild West is in, in people's head and what they see on screen and when they imagine it for themselves, it'll always be better than whatever version it really is like in real life. 
it's human nature to imagine everything is better than it is when you really have it. It's not just like projecting something better in retrospect. It also was like a very deliberate political project to create this. Because otherwise people wouldn't go out there. I have a radical truth. My dad obsessed with like old westerns i just thought that was so random like this black american man who's like loves loves a western no that makes a lot of sense because it's the same reason that i actually wrote a whole other thing about this mila about why like black people loved kung fu movies it's the same thing of like it's a sense of freedom that black people will never have like black people were cowboys and they did go and go out west and forge their way the same way that other folks did that absolutely did happen. But like, that's even more appealing to folks who have less freedom, right? Like to a white person, it's not possible because like, we don't live in that time anymore. The Monstrous Feminine is on Instagram. So please go leave us a comment or write a little message. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out as our next Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Elena Likes Films, who left us a comment on our posts for our Babadook episode that said, Rainbow flag emoji, charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Oh my gosh, wait, I love that RuPaul reference we love. That means that we we won the week. I think actually that they I were think talking the about Babadook yeah. is the icon, sorry. I hope you all had an amazing pride that has passed and you were all proud. Finish out the summer strong. Yeehaw. Have a yeehaw rest of your summer. Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. Back to just the general Western tropes point. I think the thing that scares me about all of these is just the courage the cowardly dogness of it all of being not around anything i love courage the cowardly dog it is such a fun show no it's, it's scary it though. scared the shit out of me as a kid and there's something about that like barren western frontier no human life for miles might as well be mars of course we know it wasn't as i mean there are parts that are barren the united states is fucking massive and flat for the most part um so there are parts that are barren even though we know there were indigenous people there it wasn't just like another planet but to me i'ma always go back to it the settler colonial mindset of like this is the way that we treat mars now and like other planets of like well we've explored all the land on earth you said mila about like the setting of a western and the circumstances of a western of like you can just kill whoever and do whatever and there's really nobody around those things alone are the sights of horror and if nothing else happened if nothing supernatural if nothing like else occurred i would say oh most westerns are horror movies so emma tammy in various interviews so in an interview with awfj.org by brandy mcdonnell they were basically saying that like Teresa southern wrote it and they had read several like compilations i'm quoting now of women's journals and diary entries from like that time and one of them was called pioneer women and there was a diary entry in the book where a woman accounts having given birth by herself this woman was completely by herself passed out woke up got water you read these stories these actual stories and it's mind-blowing and then the film goes on to say in this interview like that the wind is a metaphor for loneliness and isolation that these women were experiencing out in the plains and it starts to erode her own sense of certainty so the wind for them is like a 
about that barrenness, that isolation, that feeling of extreme loneliness. This script basically kind of explored it from a female perspective as opposed to like male perspective in the male dominated Western canon. I made a note about that. I was like, what terrible conditions you're in the middle of nowhere with some guy. <laughs> <laughs> the like barren abandoned house is a horror trope. Like there's last house on the left, the strangers, the ideal of not having neighbors and being alone is still very much a theme that we see all the time in horror. And it's not necessarily like exclusive to being in a Western. I think it kind of goes into the horror of loneliness and also the absence of community. Even though I feel like those are things that people take for granted in society a lot. Community and being able to run to a neighbor's house if you're in a crisis are things that people kind of take for granted. The site of horror is totally that like barren wasteland. It's a liminal space literally because it's like in the middle of fucking nowhere. But like metaphorically, it's like in between the capitalist growth of America but also like hanging on to those ideals of like freedom and being an outlaw. I appreciate it that this film focused on like the loneliness element of like the horror of the western because I just find it far too uncomfortable I don't think I'm alone and like I just say that as if that's a unique opinion it is not. I just find it far too uncomfortable to watch it where like this typical cowboys and Indian stuff gets introduced because it's just like wildly offensive, violent, graphic, horrible propaganda even if it's commenting on those tropes like say in the burrowers or something like that it's still like difficult to grapple with visualizing it so i kind of not that i want a film to be absent of native people but in this instance i was like i'd rather just watch like this white couple and like this woman absolutely lose her mind like that's what i want to see in this like open space like i was kind of grateful that they sidestepped that problem by like not having it be an encounter with otherness in this way that the otherness was another race it was or the native people it was otherness in the form of the supernatural so that ties with a question that i had like why it might work better now is because we have the gift of retrospect to point to what was horrific about either the films or the reality of the situation and then like like those are hard to watch for a lot of reasons but they are using what horror always does a real life thing that is terrible and horrifying and using it to talk about x y or z or evoke fear in an audience and that works better now whereas like the films that were not intended to be horrific like the classic westerns black and whites they are horrors because they're horrific and then my question for y'all was do men seem lonely in those movies i don't think they do like the appeal of going out west is that what taya was saying is that you have your land and your fence and nobody bothers you and you seek the isolation so we don't have that like anxiety of like oh fuck they're out there alone the intent is like oh yeah they're out there alone this movie it's good. It took two different types of things that I don't normally really enjoy and made it enjoyable to watch. I don't really enjoy like supernatural horror with like demonic stuff. That's usually just not the horror that I seek out and I really don't like westerns. But they put those together and I still found the movie enjoyable. This movie to me I think I thought it was going to go in a different way and it definitely felt more like female hysteria. You get to manifest destiny it up yourself if you go and explore this terrain. <laughs> The idea of like doing that with like some dude who you've known probably like they did not court long in this time period so like some dude you were dating a month you gotta go get married and move to the west and like leave your family but like female hysteria back then there's like a lot of poetry and stuff as well that kind of just talks about the general hysteria that women would feel in these marriages with like people you don't know don't understand you expect you to do all this work also be pregnant and you're all, all the time home all the time they go away for weeks at a time you might die in the birth they 
really don't care. They'll just find another one. Like you're just so dispensable that I can see why that would be maddening. In this film, I wasn't sure if it was like going for a sympathetic angle for all of the women in the film or more so one of them. I think the fact that it's like a female pov means that for me it's not done in exactly the same light because I feel like you do get a lot more of like each of the women's thought process behind it even if it does play with like the ambiguity and like is she crazy or is she not kind of thing is, is it actually a demon or is she just hysterical but I think you do get like lots more interiority so I wasn't too mad about the hysteria element of it it is like definitely a monstrous womb film I think it was an interesting one like we said like I hadn't really considered monstrous womb of like what if you had to like give birth by yourself which didn't even happen like we don't actually see a successful well we do see a a birth but it's a stillborn and then the next time we see it it's like a forced basically baby removal from a corpse which is horrific as well so it's definitely a monstrous womb film if we're talking about Creed and Creed has you know what she says about hysteria i think i've spoken about it before but like the greeks believe that the womb began to travel on the body if the woman was sexually frustrated and deprivation caused her bodily fluids to dry up and this caused the womb to move around to seek moisture i know that happens to me <laughs> i know that happens to me i need an explanation for some things i think that was funny though because we do actually have emma in this film who's like frustrated with her husband or doesn't like her husband and like seeks out isaac apparently so and she becomes pregnant and then becomes more overt about thirsting over isaac but also more delusional with the demonic vision so i think it's definitely like doing that monstrous womb trope and then also just the womb is very much presented as abject here in that it is the site where something goes from like object to subject it's a place of life it's a place of death it reminds people of their own mortality so i think it is doing like a creed monstrous womb trope but i think because we get to see the women's inside perspective i think it's done in a different way yeah it it justifies the hysteria like it's not just saying like women be crazy sometimes it's saying like women get put in circumstances that cause their mental health to deteriorate i think it's also interesting when you really think about it because now we realize how traumatic it is to have a stillborn birth but like back then you could miscarry or have a stillborn or have like a baby who dies two days after birth and your husband's like cool we have another one like today and so there's no real ability to grieve the women were forced to like be pregnant all the time in a situation where like there's no real medicine the doctors are not trained to help you give birth and your life isn't valued as much as the infant that you're having I know the director said like I think the wind symbolizes like that loneliness uh, of of women during those times and, and whatnot but I also kind of took the wind to literally like symbolize how men thought women were hysteric because there is that line where Emma says I've told Gideon and he doesn't believe me he tells me it's the wind and so I think from that point on you you equate it with like men denying women like saying that there's something bad out there so that's kind of why I thought the treatment of hysteria wasn't as problematic because it was like I think a touch ironic of course they they do dampen that a little bit or they make it more murky with the ambiguity of like Lizzie's own mental health and whether you trust her as a reliable like center character. I think it was trying to comment on that at the same time as it was doing it. But am I interpreting this wrong? At the end we do realize that Lizzie did kill Emma. Yeah. 
So in that way, to me, it feels like they don't have a, a huge age gap. But during this time period, like the difference between 19 and 24 were very large. So the relationship between them and the fact that the, they clearly did have some sort of age gap there with Emma being the younger one kind of felt sad in a way to me, like how women have always been forced to be put put against each other even in situations where they're overwhelmingly getting the short end of the stick. Like both of them have really sucky marriages and lives but they're still stuck in the situation where they're not necessarily each other's allies based on who is perceived to be in a better situation or who is going to have the most usefulness for society. And that in itself to me I was like this is kind of sad like this is getting out of the genre of horror and getting into just like a very sad drama. <laughs> but I think the best tours to me kind of do blend genres like I don't think anything should be one note and I think that's kind of why this movie works. Also don't really care that much about like if it's like a perfect feminist film or if there are any small errors in it because like this is a time period where I'm not expecting someone to be Joe March. No one really had the agency for this film to like come out being overwhelmingly feminist or anything and so I'm gonna give it a pass like even if there is some murkiness with like the overlying issues of like age and competitiveness between women because I just think that's realistic for what's going on yeah you're gonna be competitive when you're disposable yeah I think I agree with that I saw a lot of like headlines call it like a feminist western and I was like I agree with you I don't necessarily think it is feminist Variety called it feminine west and a Hollywood reporter called it femcentric and I was like that's a better term because I don't think like not everything with women is feminist I was reading some interviews and there was a lot of like women on board in this production team as well like that element of it's feminist sure but I don't think that that equates to feminist message in a film but anyway i listened to another podcast called more of a comment really and that was an interview with emma tammy and she said something interesting and she said each of the demons that appear on the cards represents an internal fear so there's jealousy or rage and i'm quoting here i think we are trying to really link the haunting elements of the film to what our personal demons are and what manifests in our own minds i think that's more insidious than the boogeyman outside the door it's really a thing that's eaten us up on the inside so we wanted her loneliness and isolation out on the prairie and her suspicions about what might be happening with her neighbor and her husband to be festering in her mind and really eating at her it's all linked to lizzie's internal struggles as a woman on the prairie trying to survive so it's kind of literally what you said Taya where it's like these are like her inner fears and everything comes out and her inner demons become real demons or you can interpret it differently maybe there is a demonic presence who's like playing up the inner demon fear like the worst fear which is what isn't that what kind of demons do they like whisper things and they play on the things that are already on your subconscious already that's personally how I kind of took the film I kind of took it as like a mixture of both where she's like she's already having these thoughts but like there's an outside force that's like catalyzing it into actual violence I don't think the whole thing is a delusion I think it's a mixture I think that's kind of what you're saying about like they're competitive they're jealous but also they're just trying to survive and if your husband before is like your only companion and like oh, there's another woman who's gonna carry a baby your husband's baby a term after you lost yours I guess that would be like fodder for a competitive environment the film utilizes the horror in isolation really well the sound being like amped up I really liked that it didn't engage me so much with the characters but I think like overall it was it was entertaining to see the ambiguity of like how much of it was real or inside her head I don't know how much I enjoyed the flashback style. I don't know, it felt like it was just sort of filler. Therefore, like, the end of it wasn't quite as impactful because I was sort of like, but what has happened? Yeah, I like that it was female-focused. Obviously, like you said, that's not usual for the Western. And 
yeah, I enjoyed seeing like their relationship play out. Annoying that that's kind of the only dynamic you can play with is that they're like both fighting to survive and therefore would always have that tension between them. But again, that's realistic. They could band together and be each other's companies or they could be lesbians. But I think it's realistic in the same way that like, we talked about it with another film where we were like, the competition between them is because of the men like around them. Like it's actually the man who creates this this conflict he made it immediately competitive in their marriage because he had an affair you know what i mean like that was his fault i think it's important that their names are emma and lizzie and like lilith and eve those start with an l and an e and lizzie is his actual wife and eve and emma is like the one I'm who he <laughs> all of us squinting <laughs> all of us yeah all of us doing a little pout and squint i will explain more so lizzie's husband's name in this film is isaac and isaac was the son of abraham and sarah and he was like the child that was promised to them because sarah was past the age of bearing a child and in this film lizzie does not actually bear a child and he has like the two women competing with him and lizzie's name starts with an l like lilith and she's the wife who's unable to fulfill her duties and so he seeks out the other one emma which starts with the e like Eve and she almost feels like a secondary wife but the problem in this story is that neither of them quite fit the ideal wife for the time like they're both going through different fits of hysteria based on demonic presences and as we've spoke about like in previous episodes so much of like the lore of Lilith has turned into supernatural things that in a way it kind of feels like a play on that like what if both of them were influenced by the snake and neither of them turned out to be the person who's going to help populate Eden and the world also feels like they're connecting these stories like what if instead of having his second wife being like the one who came from his rib it's also like this more modern person who's dealing with hysteria and loneliness of being in the west and not able to just conform to this okay i'm gonna have this baby it's gonna be straightforward and everything goes wrong and therefore prevents them from creating this society and like repopulating and creating something out of eden and it feels almost like a parallel to like the garden of eden like gone wrong because of the whispers of the the demons that both women feel like they're hearing you said it. no no that obviously will no, make I sense think obvi- i think anytime a biblical name is deployed you have to look into the biblical angle i like the garden of eden parallel with yeah. the wild west i think that's cool what do you guys think of the role of like the godlessness of this place though and the role of religion or the absence of religion because she specifically comments on the fact that there's not enough people to have a church and it almost becomes like a thing of like i guess what we were saying about like a horror is like the no community aspect to have a faith you have to have like a group of people kind of thing it's like a prominent theme in westerns is that like individualist philosophy which is a hallmark of american identity at conflict with that sense of community that they wanted to build and they blame the land like at one point i think i wrote down that she says this land has something wrong with it and i'm like it's not the land honey because people have been forming community on this land long before you got here it's this toxic individualist capitalist settler colonial mentality that has something wrong with it (laughs) but (laughs) i understand why you think the way that you do okay lizzie (laughs) I don't know if I really enjoyed the like supernatural element of it. You're not alone. Most of the critics that commented on it were like more insanity, less supernatural. But I feel like because it was only affecting them, it felt more like the serpent whispering in their ear to disrupt 
whatever they were trying to build. I like that more, the like biblical allegory of it. I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes you watch a movie and it's like, I don't really like anybody in this movie. Like I didn't dislike watching the movie because I do think they married two things that I don't like watching and still made it like, okay, this was a, a good watch. I think horror struggles with this a lot, which is like a pacing issue because you want people when they're watching horror to be engaged enough to be scared when they need to and see the like the jump scares when they're coming. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like with horror, they like completely skip the part where you like the characters. And this is something that I feel like Fear Street did well. No, I hated those. It took a lot to make me hate a lesbian couple. Fear Street made me hate that lesbian couple. You were sad when the friend died. They meat grinded her head, Mila. It was intense. You like her as a character, like you like Kate before all that happens because you do get to like see their friendship dynamics and stuff. But in this, I was like, I'm being brought like very quickly into the situation. And even with like the flashbacks, it doesn't give you quite enough context to what their dynamic was like prior to the situation, which is fine because I mean I guess in a way it's kind of saying like these people don't have their situation figured out because the marriages happen quickly like can you imagine how competitive it was to get a fine ass husband back then do you know how many I'm coming to you as a woman messages these women were having their Instagram DMs <laughs> <laughs> like it would be chaos <laughs> it's Jessica Kiang for Variety who said a convincingly feminist melding of Western legend and cabin in the woods horror, but not in the way one might initially think. The wind doesn't seek to make infallible heroes of its women, but to understand and empathize with even their most unforgivable acts. What was unforgivable? She shot her in the head, Mila. She killed a pregnant woman. She wasn't in her right mind. Well, exactly. It's saying that, like, you empathize with their most unforgivable acts. Basically, you support women's wrongs. Mm, but I, mm, not, mm. Mila's like, not only do I support it, I don't think it was wrong. I think it needed to choose which one it was going with. Like, are we watching Hysteria and she thinks it's something supernatural or like a little bit of both? Because towards the end, I feel like it gets a bit murky. And when it gets murky, it becomes like, okay, so if her husband was right the whole time and it wasn't anything supernatural. Rather it murky than definitively a demon. I also think there was one interpretation which is slightly more extreme, which is that she hallucinated the whole thing and was never actually with anyone at all. There is one flashback where she sees the Reverend, who she saw later in the film, right? And then visualizes his whole death, and then he actually didn't die. In that opening scene where we get, where, and this is when all the truthful flashbacks start coming in. So you realize that she's met the Reverend, and when she's on the horse, she's alone, like her husband's not with her. She's riding the horse, and she passes this Reverend who hands her a card of inner demons. So there was an argument that maybe she was never, like, maybe there was no one there at all. That's fair enough. But why the fuck would you, like, in a state of psychosis, imagine such a boring man horror movie? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say boring husband, but okay. What would a fun marriage even be like then? Like, it's not like you really had the option to be like a childless couple. Your husband's probably going to be away a lot. It's going to be some really dry, horrible sex. Okay, but I feel like a lot of it is just loneliness. Like, a few pumps is going to feel great when you've been alone for you knows when how you're long. When you're being haunted by a demon, it's not going to feel great when it's, when it's dry. You're making a lot of assumptions, Taya. On that note, Taya's like, she does not have a super soaker. <laughs> she does not have a wap. Oh my god. Wild ass pussy. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. 
Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out. <laughs>